Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where we go 365 days, bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast, as well as informing, as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. Are you looking to start a podcast but don't know where to begin? Look no further. For only $4.99 a month, you can access my exclusive podcast membership where I share all the insider tips and tricks I've learned from podcasting a daily podcast for the last 223 days. With my membership, you'll have access to the wealth of information on everything from content creation to equipment selection. And you will get a behind the scenes look at what goes into making a successful podcast. And that's not all. As a member, you will also get 25% off my guide on how to build a podcast, which takes you through a process of understanding the importance of planning for 10 episodes. Plus, I will bring on special guests to talk about content creation, podcast related topics so you can continue to learn and grow in your skills. Don't let the challenge of creating a podcast hold you back. Sign up for my podcast membership and start creating your own content and something you can be proud of. The Master of None. All right, why is it called the Master of None? Well, believe it or not, I do have a lot of different levels of experience and knowledge. I'm pretty much a random assortment, if you will, and one of them being Chinese policy. See, I, in fact, studied Chinese policy at the University of Denver. I lived in China for two years, and I also worked for a think tank that did investigations in the China. Um, so I have some understanding of China. I'm not like a crazy China expert by any means, but I definitely understand the country both from an anecdotal understanding and from an academic understanding so it kind of gives me the ability to have some uniqueness within it and today as often on this podcast i do talk about china a lot but getting into the russia china deal and why so many people are talking about taiwan so let's get into it so if you follow geopolitical policy you listen to the news you always get information about people talking about what you know, China's going to invade Taiwan. Now, you might ask yourself, why is that relevant to the United States, and why do we care? You know, because I think it's a really good question. You know, Taiwan's on the other side. It's a small island. You know, maybe we do about $750 million with them in terms of GDP or sales a year, so it's not like they're our number one trading partner. So why are we really focusing on it? Well, if we go back, way back, So February of 1972, we have a situation where it's a secret meeting. So there's never really been a meeting like this at this time. And you have Richard Nixon, oddly enough. But a random fact about Richard Nixon is he was the first president to visit every single state while in office. So the guy definitely liked to get around. Um, But you have Richard Nixon going on a secret mission with his director of national security, Henry Kissinger. And it was a really interesting meeting because they were going there actually through Turkey for the first time ever to normalize relations with China. 
Now, whenever you normalize relations, you know, we probably witnessed what happened with Obama and Cuba. Dialed back a little again, dialed back again. But whenever you do normalization, what you're doing is you're setting up a ability to communicate, build partnerships, sell, and trade. Now, this was in 1972, so it was kind of at the height of the Soviet Union. Um, you know, the Cold War was raging on. Um, you know, things like that were happening. It was in the wake of Vietnam. You know, things that were really starting to create certain issues. And the Vietnam War would actually be ending in 1975. Now, Nixon would go to China for a lot of different reasons. First of all, Mao Zedong was the prime minister chair, probably the first there, kind of creating the CCP as we know it. Um, during this time, he would have ruled, I think, around until 1940, had the Cultural Revolution, etc., and became a communist uh, premier. Um, and Nixon was going to China for a lot of different reasons because China was growing, but at that time... I mean, their GDP would have been nothing. I mean, it was really, really low, very poor country, but they had numbers. And the fear at that time was that China was going to build relations with the Soviet Union and be able to leverage against the United States. And another big fear was um, for the simple fact that China was definitely having influence on the Vietnam War um, potentially sending people through northern Vietnam, sending resources. And in a way, Nixon really wanted to end the war, and he wanted to build some type of relation with China so they would no longer have to worry about China going into Vietnam, feeding supplies, and potentially having into it. Well, we would lose that war. But the point is these were all conversation talking points because China was, in fact, a part of the Korean War, and that's why, you know, the, no one ever talks about that war. It's just called the silent war. But yeah, China was definitely sending people to fight the United States within the Korean War. That's, that's, you can find that all. So you have the situation where you're trying to normalize relations for the first time. You have Richard Nixon in China with Henry Kissinger, who oddly enough is still alive at 96 years old. I mean, think about that. And you have a conversation happening between them when they are really trying to work through some type of solution set. Well, prior to this, the United States only saw Taiwan as the capital of China because Taiwan in itself was a democratic nation. So leading up to this, the, China, you know, the United States government only really interact, they wanted to interact with di diplomatic countries, you know, in and that's why they would see it. You know, Beijing was not seen as the capital of China. The United States would not acknowledge China from that standpoint. So you had a situation where you had a bargaining leveraging point where, you know, Nixon in itself with Kissinger would come to an agreement with China. And it was like, this agreement that really shows how strong national powers do what they want and the weak do what they must. And Nixon and Mao Zedong came to an understanding and they built relations based on some trade agreements and things like that. And one of the things that, you know, I mean, one of the things, one of the things as a result of this normalization of relations in coming together was that the United States would no longer see 
Taiwan as the capital of China. And I remember because I wrote a paper about this, and you know, one of the headlines during that time was Taiwan. And so essentially, what it says is, you know, Beijing gets to normalize relations, and all we got was egg rolls, which is like kind of a strange topic. But a lot of people were not happy about this policy move where we were now transitioning and seeing Beijing as the capital of China. You know, in our fourth, we don't even think about that now. We never be like, oh yeah, Beijing is the capital of China. But even saying that at some point in time was a controversial concept because of the simple fact that China was a communist nation then, and they were very poor. But, but Nixon was willing to do whatever it took in order to get these treaties set in place so China would not build relations with the Soviet Union and work on not having any, any type of influence with China and Vietnam. And it's one of these policy moves that's really interesting because like, there's like the classic story where the Chinese, gov- the Chinese government were not liking the terms of the deal and you had Nixon jumping around in his underwear and screaming, saying, I want this, I want this. And that's just what the lore is. And as a result of it, that's why Taiwan got kind of put on the back burner. And you can imagine what that do for Taiwan nation. So the Taiwan nation. Well, as a result of that, the minute that deal was took, you had, two, you had, you had a new path forged. Number one, the birth of China, as we know, it would be created because it would open up these trading agreements. They would open up the ability for China to grow, doubling their GDP within the 80s as a result of Deng Xiaoping as the premier. And you had Taiwan kind of being um, losing that respect as it was the capital of China. I mean, you can imagine what it would do for the relations of Taiwan and the U.S., Although the U.S. still has a relationship with Taiwan, it's kind of set this trajectory where China wants to see Taiwan as a part of one China. You know, China has this really deep concept within the political sphere of identifying it as a national nation, and they never really thought Taiwan was not a part of China. And if you look at the difference between Taiwan and China, they speak Chinese, but they have their own kind of dialect, and it's a result of what happened during the Cultural Revolution? Because originally Thailand, Taiwan, was an island of natives, and a lot of the Chinese who were left as a result of the Cultural Revolution created the birth of Taiwan. Working with um, going back to Chiang Kai-shek, so these are kind of all different concepts of what happened with China. So this is now fast forward to the current day, okay, where we have the relations happening now with Russia and Putin which is really interesting because the fears are going to invade Taiwan, but at one point in time, normalizing relations with China was the most important thing in using Taiwan as a bargaining chip to get that. So now, are we going to be left with the residual effect of China invading Taiwan and the United States having to come to the aid for trade agreements and things like that? And I go back to this school of thought, really focusing on the impact of GDP and sales. So, you know, if we look at kind of just the top three things that we send to China, okay, and we look at the money. So we send about $15 billion worth of goods that are purchased from the Chinese government. 
Actually, it's probably more than 15 billion. I'm sorry. It's going to be in the trillion mark. It's going to be a lot. And if we look at like kind of the first thing is oil, seeds, fruit, grain, seeds, and fruit. And that's 18 billion. And this was back in 2022. Now, fruit is so important to the Chinese government, like the Chinese people and seeds. They'll eat it all the time. Next, we do have some aspects of electronic equipment. We have machinery, we have, you know, pharmaceutical products and cereals, things like that. We're sending a lot of grains, plastics, things that aren't really produced, food, things we do really well here and they don't have in China. Now, you would never think that our relations would become so strong going back to that moment where Nixon created the normalizations of relations. It's pretty interesting. So... We purchase also, the United States imports a lot from China. You could say probably we're their number one client. So if we just look at the electronics alone, we import about $145 billion a year. We do um, import, I'm sorry, we import $105 billion. Not. Then we have machinery. And number three is toys, games, and sports equipment at $42 billion, Okay. So what's really interesting, if we look at kind of what happens within Taiwan, you know, we have about, you know, we, we do million, you know, we do, is it, you know, we do kind of billions, you know, but it's really small. And whenever we're working with them, because they're a smaller island, we do sell them a lot of our military equipment in order to have protection, our F-16s, things like that. So if there was an invasion. So if we look at the number one kind of imports from Russia to China, and as a result of the Ukrainian war, Russia is leaning on China more in order to build and establish normalization of relations. So what Nixon fought so hard not to do essentially is happening with this treaty, but Russia in no way is as strong as it was during the Soviet Union. You know, if we look at kind of these different concepts of GDP, Russia's GDP is around $1 trillion. If we, for example, look at the GDP of California, state GDP, it's up to $3 trillion. And, you know, Russia's the size of the United States, so it really goes to show you that their purchasing power is not as strong. And, you know, there has been times in history where trade partners go to war. I mean, you had Germany fighting Russia and the Brits back in World War II, and that was their number one trading partners. But that was a result also of ideology, which... I really don't see the same kind of ideology coming out of China as what was going on in a Germany back between 1939 and 1945. So we have a different ideology going on. But if we look at the purchasing of Russia imports from China, you know, it's about 19 billion electronics, vehicle, plastics, chemicals, you know, but it's not a lot of money. You know, we're not looking at a crazy amount. I mean, the number one import from Russia to China is $19 billion. And they don't have as many, you know, when it goes from 18 and then it drops down to four. I mean, the United States has so much purchasing with China. In order to lose that relationship, you're losing out on the top three number one trade partnerships. And then Xi Jinping is going to have to worry about how to keep his people employed in business and industry there. Now, if China is trying to leverage this whole situation, what they're going to try to do is build a relationship with Russia to kind of have a stronger alliance so they can wean off the United States' money and their purchasing power. But, 
the United States, if their purchasing power is still strong, we'll just find someone to fill that void. We'll go to another country and we'll build another industry. And that's how the United States has always done it thus far. So, you know, this is this is just a constant rhetoric back and forth between Russia, China, and the United States. Um, you know, as a result of going in Afghanistan, we focus more on insurgency, but now we're going back to these monopolar type kind of situations. So I just wanted to give you an overview of this. I hope it was helpful. Um, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a guest on tomorrow, kind of going into other topics. So thank you for listening. We'll get back to you tomorrow.